What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome into Tuesday. It's Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr is in. We are loaded up today. Mitch Sherman from The Athletic going to join us here in about 20 minutes. Talk some big red football with him. A recruiting front is a big day tomorrow with Nebraska and Thomas Fedoni, potentially. And, of course, Kobe Brett's uh, committing yesterday. Some thoughts from Mitch on uh, legal things moving forward with uh, the, all the parents. are. It's like it's one big end of baseball season parent get-together, except it's a lawsuit. <laughs> Ten of the 14 schools are uh, marching on Big Ten's commissioner. Ron Brown going to be with us. Uh, you know what? With no football, instead of crying, we're going to. We're going to laugh and relive. The YouTube Tuesday has been resurrected. And uh, we will talk uh, Nebraska-Penn State 2011. That was the uh, that was a weird, 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 crazy game because it was in the wake of Joe Paterno being told to, to pack your U-Haul. And it was also in the wake of uh, Evil Incarnate and Jerry Sandusky and the Sandusky scandal. So Ron Brown was so, so big. in the. He's been great his whole career. But that moment with, with Ron and Prayer and what he was able to do for both teams uh, was, was very monumental. So Ron Brown will talk dealing with COVID for Nebraska, but also get into some thoughts from Ron on that Saturday uh, in uh, Happy Valley, Nebraska-Penn State 2011, a nail-biter Hard-fought, tough Big Ten win for Nebraska. So Ron Brown coming up in Hour 2 at 5.05. And then uh, a new guest to the show I hope to to have back. A little more NFL focus with a little Nebraska twist. Ben Baby, he is the national reporter, ESPN.com for the Cincinnati Bengals. So how is your, your two looking for a lot of folks tied to Nebraska? Zach Taylor, of course, uh, we love Zach, and uh, year two for him. Yet Joe Burrow, of course, at the helmet quarterback and some uh, Nebraska products. Freedom uh, is doing well again with Cincinnati. I mean, and, and I know Freedom was a was a free agent signee, but the Bengals really like uh, Freedom on their defensive line, which is great because Freedom was one of the good dudes here in Nebraska. And he's found uh, found some room in the NFL to make an impact. So we'll get caught up with Ben Baby on freedom. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on Stanley Morgan, Seathan Carter. So uh, some Cincinnati Bank. I never, ever in my life thought I would do a Cincinnati Bengals segment. 
nor nor do, nor did I think you would care about a Cincinnati Bengals segment. But hey, I'm going to be watching the the Bengals this fall. A, it's football, but B, I'm going to be watching Cincy football because Zach Taylor, and you got some Nebraska connections to it, so. I will find a bar, I will socially distance, I will pour a beer, and I will watch Bengals football. Because, well, and we'll say this, Cincinnati may have some some primetime spots just because of Burrow and what what maybe they become. Now, the division, I mean, where's Pittsburgh at, right? Where's Cleveland go with Baker? Because they were fringe playoff two years, two years ago. And then Baltimore... I mean, Baltimore's awesome. Lamar's the man. What do they got after a way too early exit, not living up to that top seed, right, between them and the Chiefs? So what's uh, what's the plan there for the AFC Central? So Bengals talk. <laughs> Write it down. 540. And, and we hope Ben Baby will be back on with us. So numbers to get in, 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. Numbers to get in. You can find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio, Chris Schmidt, or at Damon Bar. That's two R's for Damon. And, uh, of course, <laughs> uh, email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. News from our friends down in Oklahoma. Coming down 35 minutes ago, Oklahoma is prohibiting tailgating on campus grounds. It is canceled homecoming amid the coronavirus pandemic. That is something fierce. All public tailgating, all OU Alumni Association boomer bash, Sooner Club tailgate, Tailgate guys, the Varsity O tailgate, and the Walk of Champions. That's a slap. That's a slap in the face. We may not go down to Norman this year. Not that we were invited to any of these things, but we would have dirtied our way in. So uh, let's get a a second day report here from one Damon Barr when it comes to kids masking and distancing on campus. Damon, how has your first two days back to campus been? Uh, they've been they've been good. Uh, lots of masks. I picked up uh, two free masks in the union. So, so you just showed up without a mask, and uh, no, then, no, then no. you were I, I beaten left, with a hammer. I left with three that day. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, and, you, and instead of being the guy on the corner that swung, hey, you want to buy a watch? That guy. <laughs> hey, you want a mask? <laughs> <laughs> you are selling masks like you, you are want, a state with surplus. You want a red Nebraska mask? You want a red Nebraska mask? You so you got a red Nebraska? I mask. did. Yeah. How many? Uh, I got a red one and a black one, both with uh, uh, the Nebraska logo on them. Okay. So I'm styling on campus. Can you but, uh, forge any signatures? <laughs> we'll, we'll see if it, my handwriting can uh, a little AM. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I was thinking of the head coach. But, okay, you know, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Whatever. But so, so you have a couple of masks. Right, I do. And I, a lot of kids on campus uh, definitely masking it up. Outside, you see people, you know, they're walking outside. It's not the most necessary thing in the world. But yeah, everywhere buildings, mm-hmm. glad to see people wearing masks. You know, and with me, if I'm out, I'm not going to to mask up when I'm driving. I'm not going to mask up if I'm walking by myself. And I try and stay pretty clean so I don't like, you know, the the pig pen character from the Peanuts gang. But once I I hit that entrance, it's, it's mask time. 
And a dear friend of the show, Anna Otto, has made masks for me and made masks for Junior and made masks for Mama. So I may burn Junior's Michigan State emerald green mask and make him start wearing a red one. And the plan is to make the, uh, the Crown Royal Peach bag into a mask. If you want to see something hilarious, my wife and I trying to sew, that would be hilarious. There would be needles thrown. So uh, my good friend Anna and Iowa Russ, I am imploring you, I need help with this this uh, Crown Royal Peach mask. And just for good measure, I might need to go buy another bottle of it in case we need a, a second piece of cloth for it. There we go. So the big announcement, uh, 24 hours from 8.40 tonight, Channel 7 in Omaha. Andy Kendi, good dude, uh, will lead the festivities for a special signing ceremony or, as we call it now, announcement ceremony for one Thomas Fedoni. 8.40 is when is when that is supposed to happen. You do it every year. Oh, my God. I just like breathe on things and the computer just goes off. Kind of pisses me off, quite frankly. That was not intended. So I was all ready to start talking recruiting here. Okay. Damon's like, that was great. Now I can evil eye you for screwing up. Yeah, that's that's how it works. So back to recruiting. All right. This is coffee in my cup before you start making assumptions, Damon. So you got the uh, the special tomorrow night, Thomas Fanoni. Listen, they're not going to have a special unless he's coming to Nebraska, are they? I mean, listen, you've lost few kids as Nebraska within your state. Thomas Fedoni's across the river in Council Bluffs. I have had more trips to Council Bluffs than I can count nor care to remember, uh, honestly, all right? And it's not the, the garden spot of, of Council Bluffs. It's going to leave that one hang. But we've been there a lot for baseball, right? That's where juniors tournaments were at, and we sped the hell out of there. So he is leaving, okay? He is getting out of Council Bluffs. And he will either end up where? Iowa? Will he end up at LSU? Will he look at Notre Dame? Will he go to Nebraska? I mean, he's got options. He just can't visit. I think the the the. Turning point in this thing, I think what flipped the script for Nebraska over Iowa, over LSU, and I don't know this, I'm just speculating, but what flipped the script here is Thomas Fedoni getting a phone call from Harburg, the recruiter, and some of the crew that are going to be part of this 21-2021 class. They said, Big Cat, what are you doing? Uh, Nothing. I'm in Council Bluffs. Would you like to leave? Would you like a breather down in Lincoln? Just us dudes will crash at Prohaska's and we'll, we'll go eat some wings. We'll show you around Lincoln. And, and he's been to Lincoln and Iowa a thousand times. But I could totally get a kid from there or anywhere in the Midwest with that, oh, look, look at LSU. Look at Thaddeus Moss. Or to be quite frank, Iowa puts a first round or pro bowler out every other year, it feels like, in the NFL draft at tight end. They just do. 
But have you connected with guys? And I think he probably had some wings and connected with guys. So you've got Fedoni making his announcement tomorrow night. You've got Iowa and LSU making a push. And Bill Bush is a phenomenal recruiter. He is incredible, and everywhere he's been, he has loaded up a roster with talent. That's Nebraska under Callahan. I think he brought some kids that could play ball when he was at Rutgers. Bill Bush certainly uh, was responsible for Alex Smith at Utah for Urban Meyer. And when I think of some kids that really did well at Nebraska, Prince of Mukamara, for sure, Bill Bush kills it, period. And he is down at LSU to do that. And you can throw a rock and get a high-level kid. But he has connections and feelers out back here because of his time and being a native Nebraskan. Bill Bush is phenomenal. So to beat him for a kid is no small feat or no small task, and it rarely happens. But if Nebraska can get this thing pulled off, uh, that would be monstrous. And quite honestly, when I look at Thomas Fedoni, this Nebraska's been looking for this type of player under the Frost regime for a while. And it's a guy that not only has the measurables and the work ethic and the size and the speed to, to be a baller in the Big Ten or in the SEC, but it's also kind of a statement get now, isn't it? It's a statement get that you've got this type of elite talent going, wow, I could do a lot of things and punish a lot of people offensively in this Frost offense. The statement. It's what Nebraska's looking for on the other side of the ball with outside linebacker. That Shaq, Shaquem, Griffin type get, okay, that they had down at Central Florida with him being a beast off the edge. So when I look at Fedoni and if Nebraska wins this over Iowa, who prints tight ends to the NFL and Bill Bush and LSU, and the mystique of Coach O and defending national champions. Nebraska needs to get a kid like this, not only to, to throw him the freaking football and, and let him thrive and, and do well in the Big Ten and use him to beat Iowa, but also uh, protect your border, so to speak. And First time in my life we'll, came, we'll, we'll claim Council Bluffs as part of Nebraska. Okay, if it, if it means getting Thomas Fedoni, yes. And I know I've been a little harsh on the old CB. Listen, I've had to do games over there. Me and Crane acted a lot of TVs, uh, TV games for Cox TV for high school football and basketball. Loved it. And there were trips into Council Bluffs, and we do the uh, Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson game. That was the rivalry game. And we did those for like five straight years. And I swear to you, I swear to you, our TV truck had set up, and MTV was there filming Teen Mom. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding you. Damon, I'm not kidding you, man. We show up. We're like, oh, who else? This is freaking MTV. That Farrah chick? Yeah, the, 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 the Farrah chick? Yeah, she was a, a cheerleader at one of the high schools, and somebody clearly was babysitting on on. Homecoming night, because MTV was there, Team Mom. So, yeah. So, I think Thomas Fedoni is in. I'm not the first to say it. Uh, Greg Smith, I think, feels that way. Greg's going to be following this for sure. We will 
be a fortunate Thursday post-announcement, whether or whichever way it goes, to talk with Steve Warren, part of the Warren Academy, great Husker. And uh, we'll get Steve's take on Fedoni because Fedoni's been training with Steve for a number of years. And wherever it goes, we'll get Steve's take on just the talent level. So all things kind of point to Nebraska. Big Red's put in the work. But I think the tipping point was the peer recruitment. And I'm going to just say it, Nebraska's version of Gronk. That's what he can be. He's going to be that fought after. Mitch Sherman's up next on Hale Varsity. And we're back. Fellas, I think we could listen to the radio On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Thanks for hanging out. YouTube Tuesday returns. Ron Brown back with us. We'll talk Nebraska-Penn State 2011 at 5 o'clock. Reminder, Roadshow Friday. We are at Wilderness Ridge on the deck. Our annual live show out in just a beautiful setting out at Wilderness Ridge. Come by and see us. We'll be socially distant, I promise. We say hi to Mitch Sherman with The Athletic at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing all right, Chris. Uh, can't complain. How are you? I'm good. My my bigger question is how will Heinrich Harburg take a disappointment tomorrow night if that happens with Thomas Fedoni? Yeah, uh, I don't think that would go over too well. Um, I I think uh, you know people should people should uh, should trust in in Heinrich. He probably knows um, knows more than most. You know, he spent some time with Thomas and. If he feels good about what's going to happen tomorrow, then then I think uh, Husker Nation should probably feel good. Well, I, I appreciate your retweet of, of Harburg's gif that was there. It's I forget the actor or the uh, the show, but it's some dude waiting by the side of the road looking at his looking watch. at his watch. <laughs> yeah, it's not coming today. So no, it's to- um, tomorrow night, yeah, prime time. So yes. Well, I, let's focus in on recruiting before we talk some roster management and lawsuits. How's that sound? Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. West Side. What year is this? Okay. Yeah, sorry, no, yeah. You, know, you know the year and I know the year. The year. It's never going to be burned out of our mind. Uh, Kobe uh, Brett's uh, talented defensive back and uh, wide out from West Side, but uh, some talk about outside linebacker. Mitch, you covered Nebraska yeah. a long time. You saw the 90s teams that turned to some guys that were recruited as safeties or athletes sure. and we're thinking Farley and Jamel Williams and dudes yeah. of that ilk that they said all right let's put some weight on you and let you fly off the edge uh when, with Brett's it, it sounds like if if now the things can't work out at safety but there's some wiggle room to 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 put weight on his on his frame and look at the outside linebacker do you like Nebraska's path going forward here with with getting just some athletes slash football players they can kind of mold to to drop in a spot of need well the outside linebacker is such an interesting position on the defense for nebraska and with what eric chenander and mike dawson are doing there um maybe the most interesting and just multi-purpose position on the whole field including on the offensive side now you get a guy like Thomas Spadoni at tight end, and then that, that becomes like the offensive version of what they're doing at outside linebacker, where your tight ends can do so many different mm-hmm. things. But, yeah, um, Nebraska has, has shown this tendency the last couple of years with JoJo Doman 
moving into that spot from a safety role or a nickel role where he is now playing outside linebacker. And then Javen Wright is kind of the next guy to do that. And if we would have had a season this fall, we would have seen Javen Wright playing outside linebacker where he came into the program more as a defensive, well, entirely as a defensive back. You know, could have played corner, could have played safety. He grows a little bit, and voila, he's an outside linebacker. And that's, yeah, it's a possibility for sure with a guy like Kobe Bretz, who's versatile and athletic, um, definitely seems targeted for the defensive side, um, although he plays both ways mm-hmm. at Omaha West side. Um, but, but what's so interesting to me about outside linebacker is you have those guys who are the hybrid defensive backs, you know, in the mold a generation later of the, of the guys that you mentioned, like Jamel Williams and Terrell Farley, you know, who, who were at one point in their lives defensive backs and grew to become extremely athletic, playmaking, havoc-producing linebackers at Nebraska in a 4-3 system. Um, it, 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 what, what's, what's so interesting is that at the same time, Nebraska is doing something else entirely with other outside linebackers, like a Blaze Gunnerson who comes in as uh, you know more of a defensive end kind of player. Clearly, not he's not moving to outside linebacker from the secondary. He's moving to outside linebacker from uh, a, a, a hand on the line of scrimmage kind of position. So, well, at the same time, they're taking defensive ends and turning them into, uh, you know, pass rushing machines from the outside linebacker spot, big guys, you know, who can weigh 275 pounds. They're also transforming safeties into outside linebackers that, you know, are 30, 40, 50 pounds lighter. So uh, it's almost not the same position uh, that, that from one to the other that Mike Dawson is, is coaching, but um, definitely shows the versatility and the, the um, you know, the, the, the different ways that they want to use that that spot uh, in, in a 3-4 defense. Why do you think Nebraska's doing it? Is it out of need, or is it just because they can? They think they can develop, and it's a projection that they feel pretty good about it. Is it, is it I don't want to say easier, but is it something that it's more viable to try than – than landing and, and getting kind of your your prototypical kid uh, that they've tried to recruit and they've come up short on, not through any effort or fault of their own. They just, I mean, Wisconsin's kind of got a, a market or some other schools in SEC footprint uh, are going to keep those kids home. And then we, we talk about the Schweitzer kid that, you know, what is Dream Schools Notre Dame? They mm-hmm. had a really good kid in Schweitzer and he flipped mm-hmm. on them. Yeah, I mean, when you, well, I mean, you recruit California, you recruit Florida, um, and and places that are about as far away as you can get from Nebraska, and that's always going to be more of a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why it's so important for Nebraska to form the base of its recruiting class with guys like Kobe Bretts, you know, and Teddy Prohaska, and the the, the players that they've got from Iowa, um, you know, potentially adding another one, uh, a big one uh, tomorrow. So um, you ask why uh, they, they've taken this, this path with outside linebackers, you know, I, I think this is what they want to do. It's not like this is plan B. Um, this, is, this, this defense is predicated on just creating stress and creating mayhem. And I think they've, they've zoned in on that position as one of the premier places on the entire field that they can, they can create that, that kind of a, 
a kind of a problem for opponents. They're going to get, they want to get, they want that to be a playmaking position, whether it's the big outside linebackers who look more like defensive ends, you know, like uh, you go back to the, the early 90s before Nebraska made the full switch from a 3 4 to a 4 3, and you had guys like Travis Hill and even Trev Alberts early in his career who were technically listed. I mean, Trev Alberts won the butt kiss as an outside linebacker, linebacker. as a senior. <laughs> and, and, and he was a defensive end. I mean, he played defensive end, basically. You know, but but that's, that's, he, was, he was listed as a linebacker. So they want to do that. At the, and at the same time, they want to bring guys in who are 215, 220, 225 pounds um, and who can play downhill and who can back up in coverage and, and just do all kinds of, um, all kinds of uh, you know, mayhem-producing things from that spot. So it's a really intriguing position, and if Kobe Bretz ends up playing, playing there, then you know, he's obviously, they obviously have big plans for him. Mitch, your thought on Thomas Fedoni as, as we look forward to tomorrow night. Uh, do you remember a product or a, a prospect and product that's – has been as highly coveted, not necessarily a tight end, but within the region. Where, where does Fedoni rank in your memory is, is a guy that you got to get? Is he as up there as Amon Green was within the region? Yeah, I mean, you know, Baker Steinkuller was like that several years ago um, out of Lincoln Southwest. I mean, he was a five-star kid who was, uh, you know, by some rankings, top 15, top 20 player in the entire country. Um, as an offensive tackle, and then Nebraska turned him into a defensive tackle, um, and you know he had a lot of he had a lot of promise. Um, you know maybe he would have gone farther as an offensive tackle, but those were the Pelini years where um, if you had a if you had a guy with great talent, um, oftentimes and there was an argument about which side of the ball he ended up on, he was going to end up on the defensive side. And you know Baker had a future in the NFL if he hadn't gotten hurt the way he did as a senior. Um, but on the offensive side, from a skill position standpoint. Uh, it might be Amon Green. Uh, it, you have to go back to 1995 to find a guy, certainly somebody who was this coveted. I mean, there were players, there were great talents. I mean, Niles Paul was a great talent out of Omaha North as a wide receiver. But he, you know, he committed to Nebraska early enough in the process that you didn't have schools from the SEC and the Pac-12 who were knocking on his door and in anywhere near the same way that you have with, with Thomas Fedoni. Um, you know, Xavier Watts uh, a couple of years ago out of Omaha Burke, you know, now at Notre Dame as a true freshman going to play this year, uh, was a was a, a, an early enrollee this last semester. He's he's another guy who I think if, if 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 he had allowed it to go on, the recruiting to go on, he may have gotten some of the same kind of attention that Fedoni did. I mean, Betts in the same class, who's a freshman at Nebraska now, a national-level recruit, but they didn't have the list of offers. They didn't have Alabama and LSU and Michigan and Oregon and Ohio State coming in and knocking on their door. And I think part of that is because Fedoni's just a freak when you look at him physically. I've gone to see him twice, once to play, once watching him play basketball and once uh, last night at, his, at a football practice at Lewis Central. And the takeaway, the number one takeaway that I had from watching him play basketball was a play where he sprinted down the court and jumped with his hand about 12 feet in the air, went up to dunk, and he slammed the ball off the back of the rim. It did not make the dunk. (laughs) It didn't matter. Like, that's all I needed to see. I could have just walked out of the gym right then. And Jim Arbaugh was there, and it was a crazy night. Um, And and I'm like, okay, I I understand the hype now. Last night, I walked into the stadium at Lewis Central, and within 90 seconds, Fedoni is going across the middle, 
30 yards down from the line of scrimmage, jumps, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 feet into the air with his right hand outstretched, catches the ball with one hand. Uh, and the whole team stopped and gave a big ooh and ah. And, you know, that was nine, That was the first play that he ran after I walked into the, in, onto that practice field. So Just for you. That's the, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that you see with him somewhat regularly. He doesn't make that play every day, but um, it was good timing on my part. But uh, that it gives you a taste of the kind of athlete that he is and the reason that Georgia offered him the second that he worked out at the National Combine in, in January this year. The reason that Alabama and LSU and Michigan and Ohio State all wanted him to visit. Um, and, you know, to potentially Nebraska's benefit, he wasn't able to go visit any of those places because of the, the pandemic. Mitch Sherman's with us, The Athletics, where you read him, at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, about 30 seconds, and back to the gym you were in, and Harbaugh was there. I've got to go here. Was, was Harbaugh wearing cleats? No, he had a sweater vest on, and he was taking pictures with grandmas and middle school boys, and and just uh, yucking it up with everybody who who was there. And and uh, he enjoyed seeing Thomas in that play basketball that night, like everybody else. There were a number of head coaches, or a couple of head coaches, and some offensive coordinators, and, and various uh, recruiters who were there that night. And, and Jim Harbaugh just sucked all the attention out of the out of the place. Well, he can't wear those type of spikes on the hardwood. Is all I'm saying. So, I think they would have kicked him out. Even Jim Harbaugh, you can't wear you can't wear cleats into a gym. I Sorry. gotcha, Mitch. We'll talk next week. Take care and thanks for your time today. All right, thanks, Chris. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Just try me, try me. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Coming up, we'll chat with uh, Director of Player Development at Nebraska, longtime assistant coach Ron Brown. Little YouTube Tuesday, get caught up with Coach Brown on how uh, he's dealing with the postponement. And then Ben Baby, national reporter, ESPN.com for the Cincinnati Bengals. A lot of Husker ties that we'll dive into with the Bengals and Coach Zach Taylor. So we've been waiting on this, and now we finally have it. Write it down. It's 442 Central Time, the 25th of August. We've been waiting for this apology. Scroll through your memory of who you want a apology from recently. Who do you want an I'm sorry from? Not him. Wrong apology you're thinking of. You'd like something from Commissioner Warren. I would like something from Commissioner Warren. The Big 12 doesn't even play for the guy, and they're like, you should say sorry to college football, man, because the Big 10 ADs and coaches and rosters are saying, you're screwing us, man. What I can offer you is an apology from somebody that used to play at Oklahoma State, X. Seahawk, cornerback, Kima, Siverand. Does that name ring a bell? Doesn't ring a bell for me at Oklahoma State. Kind of rings a bell for me because my kid's a Seahawk nut. He's the dude that got cut because he was trying to sneak in his, uh, his hotline bling. All right? Yeah? They was like, oh, Schmidt got somewhat current. Ooh. 
It's a former Seahawk quarterback, Kima, who was waived earlier this month after he was caught trying to sneak a woman into the team hotel, has issued a public apology for what he called an inexcusable mistake. <laughs> after taking some time to reflect, that's code for, code for no one's called me, and really considering the seriousness of my actions Yeah, I could have given COVID to everybody. I've tried to find the appropriate words to apologize to all of those affected by my poor decision and immaturity. I've privately apologized to Coach Carroll, GM John Schneider, and the Seahawks organization. I violated team rules, which have been unacceptable which it would have been unacceptable in normal times, but absolutely inexcusable now during a pandemic. I understand my lapse in judgment, put my teammates and the organization at risk, and thankfully no one else was affected by my actions. So Siverin's an undrafted rookie out of Oklahoma State, went to Twitter, and then he sent a handwritten letter to the Seahawks. Marks the first public comment since the incident early in training camp. One source confirming to ESPN that the woman Siverin was trying to sneak into the team hotel was seen on camera wearing Seahawks gear as an attempt to disguise herself as a player. (laughs) Honey, the helmets stay in the lockers. The 80s called and want the shoulder pads back. Damon, jump in here. I'm at a loss for words at this situation. No, I, it's... I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, you pious kids got right. creative. Uh huh. And I knew some pious kids when I was in high school. I didn't go to pious, but I'll just say the pious kids I knew when I was in high school had a good freaking time. A lot. They were experts. At sneakage. Lots of things. And there's different crews in different high schools when it comes to sneaking people in or sneaking people out or items in a gym bag, you know, whatever. It's just Dr. Pepper, Mom, (laughs) you know? So, did you ever, uh, do you ever do the old sneak? Listen, I, I thought about like saying, hey, sweetie, and I'm married to her now, but we were dating in high school. You want to sneak over and watch a movie. And she's like, no, my father, I didn't know he had seven firearms, but he does all of a sudden he's cleaning them. I go, gotcha. So no on my end. I was weak. Uh, Actually, I I had better fear provided great judgment for me. But with you. And I'm saying you're you're a smart dude. You're mature. Mm -hmm. Even though you just hit 21, you're a rum connoisseur. You got to have some buddies that were just classic at the old sneak out. I worry about this because Junior's room has got an egress window and it's got a freaking ladder built. Like they, it came that way. He didn't take shop class soon enough to to do this. But I swear to you that it's an issue. I'm going to have to burn that ladder down. Now, if there's a fire, God forbid, he's just going to have to work on his ups. 
But from you, I mean, yeah, yes or no? Would you have what what costume or disguise would you have gone with? <laughs> would you have said, "Hey, put on this old Halloween outfit I had as a kid, the old plastic Nebraska helmet"? Well, you, you know, I had it way too easy for a high schooler. I had a room in the basement. Okay, walk out door to the backyard. Walk out. I could have just walked right out. I. I, Alarm my, system or no? My mom instilled the fear of God in me that I'd lose my room in the basement if I tried it. So. Just once. <laughs> Just once. And she'd be like, you're upstairs next to us. And I was like, that's a no for me. That's I'll... its own special type of hell, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Especially if the walls are thin, Damon. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's a thread that keeps on giving the whole year, Clark. Uh-huh. Oh, man. the you're You're not only losing your basement... Alice, Damon, mm-hmm. we're putting you next to us. Right. Yeah, that was not going to happen. So you just were a good kid. Well, th- there was a few. Yeah, we're just going to go play video games times. But uh, yeah, that's a uh, that's another path. No, the, the best was we're just crashing at so and so's house. Right. Yeah, we're just we're just staying the night playing video games all night. And in the era pre-contact tracing, everybody's telling everybody other else's parents that hey, we're staying the night at at, at Stinky's house, and. They're not going to call. We were there six out of seven days a week anyway. Right. And and now, yeah, I mean, I can track uh, Junior on his phone. Bang. You know? Works out well. You didn't have a buddy, though, that that was... Not, not, no real sneak Houdini? out stuff. No, not, none of that. That kind of... I feel like that wasn't, you guys were, wasn't really necessary. You're okay. Just sneaking around. Okay. So you, were, you guys were beyond that. It was a little, yeah, a little beyond that. You were more technically advanced. <laughs> right. So you guys probably pretty much entertained yourself. Yeah, for the most part. Okay. Well done. Good cover. I mean, you can lie with the best of them if you are in fact lying. So, all right. Lesson learned. We'll see if this dude gets re-signed. Because Pete Carroll's pretty particular, whether you're drafted or a un, you know undrafted free agent, if he brings you into camp and he likes you, something popped on film for Pete Carroll for Seattle. Now, the disguise needs work. And in the era of COVID, don't be sneaking your uh, your gal in. FaceTime. We'll wind out hour one. Tail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. What a final time this hour, 10 minutes away. And uh, Ron Brown will be with us, Director of Player Development for Nebraska Football. Get his take on how things are going down there at 10th and Vine with no football season. Also, it is the uh, start of YouTube Tuesday, the fall edition we'll talk with ron about the nebraska penn state game 2011 it's one of the more memorable games because it uh, was on the heels of joe paterno's ouster graham spaniard's ouster and the uh, jerry sandusky scandal and ron brown was so instrumental in in the healing at least that saturday for about three and a half hours of football versus what was going on around and uh, Coach Brown will be with us, get his thoughts on the game. In one of those throwback ball games, 17-14, where Nebraska jumped down to a really nice lead and then had to hang on, one of many stellar performances by Levante David. Will Compton was phenomenal. And uh, Rex Burkett, you saw the unveiling of the Rex Cat. 
at least on the road, for the first time. So, Rexy uh, and Amir teaming up for a little option football. Texas Tech today reporting 21 active cases within its football program of COVID-19. Those people have been placed in self-isolation. The team will practice this afternoon without them. The one question nobody is able to answer, how many positives require stoppage? And I'm going to leave it up to players. I'm going to leave it up to coaches. I'm going to leave it up to athletic directors to say, yeah, we've, we've had a, an outbreak or here's some positives or here's who's in quarantine. Here's who got tested. Go for it. And if you want to keep practicing and if you're going, listen, I'm not going to be up in arms screaming in about a week and a half when you have the SEC and the ACC and in the Big 12 still march forward for football. Good. Good for them. Glad someone's playing college football this fall. And if they're going to go all remote learning, fine. Good. Still getting your tuition check. Still getting your room and board even though they can't go. You're not going to refund it. You're not going to refund it in full anyway. And you're going to get college football on Saturdays. There. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty simple. And they are going to change their tune, they being these big three power five leagues with, well, we need kids on campus to to justify foot. Dude, you've looked at the Big Ten and laughed. You've looked at the Big 12, or excuse me, Pac-12 and laughed. And they are killing themselves by being on the sideline. We'll spend a little bit more time here next hour after Coach Brown with, you know, the latest from Tom Deanhart as what's kind of moving more towards cement as this winter plan. I'll be honest with you, man. I think if you're going to make programs go to these hub cities and there's no availability for any economic local impact then there better be some distribution financially with whatever TV deal you got. I would like to see some of it paid forward to communities affected, i.e. Lincoln, i.e. Omaha, without without football Saturdays. Ron Brown's up next. A tale varsity were presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back to it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's say hi to the coach, player, a development director with Nebraska, Ron Brown, back with us. Coach, you ready for another YouTube Tuesday? Good to spend some time with you. That's awesome, Schmitty. I'm glad to have something to do, bro. Well, I'm, <laughs> <That's> I'm, <good. laughs> I'm glad to talk football, too. Unfortunately, it's past tense, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, man. Well, mm-hmm. we're both just kind of... 
laughing to keep from crying with uh, <laughs> with with football. But I got to ask you, as as player development director for Nebraska, and you spend so much time with with the players and the kids, um, and they're not kids. I mean, they're they're growing into adults. We know that. But just how have you been able to to navigate um, your role with uh, the situation everybody's in? Well, first of all, I think Coach Frost has done a great job of just uh, speaking to the team corporately and and just letting them know how badly we all wanted to play and have that opportunity and how tough it is and we're we're all in it together. Um, but there are consequences that uh, I mean, well, I shouldn't say consequences, but there are circumstances that are above us that we just can't uh, we can't control. So the the main thing. Schmitty is turning the friction into traction. We can't sit around here and mope and grope and complain and grumble. Uh, that's easy. We can point fingers and all of that. What we got to do is have an attitude of gratitude. Thank the Lord for the opportunity that we get to be in a great state, uh, a great program, Husker program. Appreciate uh, our athletic department, our university our state, and uh, we have an opportunity, I think, to to really give back to the state in many ways. And so looking for ways uh, to do that. Uh, The people, we're not the only ones affected by it. There are many people across this great state that are affected by uh, the no football deal this year. Um, So, you know, for a variety of different reasons. But um, just wanted to talk about uh, with our players uh, turning the friction and the traction, taking on a right attitude. Let's don't waste this time, these few months. Let's let's train. Remember, greatness is made in empty stadiums. It's only revealed in a full stadium. So what we do between now and the next game has much to do with how we play and what kind of team we'll be. So there's a lot to look forward to, Schmitty. Ron Brown is with us on Hale Varsity. Coach, uh, that's such a, a good take, man. Fraction, uh, friction and detraction. And has that that message gotten through? How, how receptive are the guys? And I'm asking you to speak for a number of guys. But just overall in, in your dealings, uh, has that attitude, uh, adaptation, uh, has that corner been turned? Uh, or is it hit yet? Well, it's going to be revealed, Schmitty. I think, you know, it's right now it's one thing to nod your head in agreement. Yep, like what you're saying, Coach, uh, this, that, and the other. But, you know, you have to live it out. And so, um, uh, you know, we'll know over the next few months the decisions a lot of our players will make. And some of them will be hidden decisions. When I say hidden decisions, uh, I mean it's just the attitude and what we do. We have a motto here day by day, day by day. It's, it's one day at a time. And it's, you know, the, the one thing I, I remember asking Rex Burkett this uh, uh, a couple of years ago. I said, Rex, tell me about the Patriots. You know, I, I knew who Rex was here. I coached him and loved his attitude and so forth. And I can understand why the Patriots would like a guy like Rex Burkett. But why, why are the Patriots different? He said, Coach, it's day by day, man. He said, every single day is the Super Bowl there in New England. He said, uh, just the questions that were asked, what we're asked to think about on a regular day, the, the approach that practice, uh, what we have in practice, uh, just the level, the, the 10-foot rim at, uh, at uh, New England remains the 10-foot rim. It doesn't get lower to seven feet because of circumstances. So 
I, I loved his answer, and I think that that is true. I think that the high standards that you uh, learn from being on great teams and great programs uh, and being around great people um, are 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 to be lived out day by day. And what makes a high standard a high standard is that there are no letdowns. You don't lower the rim uh, so that everybody else can dunk. You keep it at the same spot and you meet the standard. That's not a shot at my dunking ability, lowering the rim to, to seven feet. I, I, either that or you've been watching me practice with Junior. But uh, <laughs> no, but that's 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 a that's a straight up Rex Burkett answer, isn't it? You you are right. Uh, so you spent a lot of January firsts, probably down in Miami or down in Tempe. Okay, for for yeah. national title games, there's a chance mm-hmm. that, that there may be a, a January or February winter slash spring season that sooner rather than later do you think that'll feel weird well you know there are things that feel weird because they are weird and then there are things that feel weird because uh you know it's new and so the question is how fast do you turn weird into normal and I and I and I feel like that's what uh you know Boyd Epley used to have a saying around here the great ones adjust um, and I and I think that's that's true. You got to be light on your feet. Uh, this is a this is a season of life that we're going through that uh, the Lord has either caused or allowed for a reason. And you know what? We don't have the final say in it. But you have to adapt. You have to adjust. You have to move and negotiate and navigate through these times. You, can, you if you remain stubbornly oppositional or uh if you remain stubbornly lazy uh then it won't cut it so hopefully our guys uh are taking that day-by-day message Mm. and they have a deep hunger and a fire inside and that's really you know the gym rat mentality the that 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 burn that 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 that's inside of some people Man, I tell you, Schmitty, that that thing comes from inside out. It's not circumstance-based. It's circumstance-free. It is. It continually burns uh, and will continue to burn no matter what the circumstances are. Ron Brown's with us. It's Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, Ron, last thought as uh, guys were ramping up and, and getting ready uh, through kind of the midi camp, uh, almost ready to put on pads before that got shut down. Uh, how were you feeling about the season going in before the pause button got hit? I mean, were you getting pretty excited? Yeah, we were excited. And we've really made, I think, uh, excellent progress as a as a team. You could see it uh, in the, the workouts that we were allowed to have. Uh, you could see the hunger and that mentality. Uh, the, the, the things were happening at a much quicker rate. Our players uh, processed information so much faster, and it was showing up um, just in the movements. So uh, we, we're excited, and we're still excited. I mean, look, this, this, uh, that, that we don't negate that and say, oh, that was all for none. Uh-uh, man, we're just that's something to build on. So let's keep rolling and get ready for whenever that first game is. Coach, we're uh, going to shift gears back to uh, 2011 and uh, Nebraska YouTube Tuesday, Nebraska Penn State, a a, a bar brawl uh, in Happy Valley, 17-14. Uh, Nebraska wins. Coach Polini, defensive effort. The running backs thrived that day. Speaking of Rex Burkhead, ran for 
a hundred and a quarter. Ran a little uh, Rex Cat with some option to a beer, <laughs> which I'm sure uh, was your play. You drew up and said, "Hey, uh, let's call this." <laughs> with both your running backs uh, running the option, but uh, before you you kicked off, that was not uh, too many days removed from the. Jerry Sandusky scandal, the removal of Joe Paterno, Graham Spanier, and uh, it was a day bigger than football, and uh, you brought both teams together, Coach, at midfield for a pregame hug and, and prayer. What do you remember about that Saturday? Well, no question, it was uh, quite a moment. Um, you know, I remember the Friday that we traveled, and uh, we knew that we were going into something difficult. We were wondering if the game was even going to be played. And uh talked to Coach Osborne before, and, and everybody kind of felt like the game needed to be played. So when we, we walked into Happy Valley there, it was there were death threats and bomb scares, and there were uh, military and police dogs and German shepherds, drug uh, smellers. And, I mean, it was just mass chaos getting ready for a game. And, uh, you know, Schmitty, uh, it was, it was uh, surreal. That word is used a lot these days, but it really was. And on, on, uh, Friday night, um, <clears throat> you know, I was just, uh, I, I was talking to, uh, one of the, uh, uh, campus ministry guys at, uh, at Penn State. And I just said, look, take a few Penn State players. I'll take a few Nebraska players and let's go into a corner of the stadium. And let's just quietly pray to the Lord and ask for his protection because, man, this place could be a, a you know, a, a, a gigantic fireball here who knows what's going to happen and so we agreed to do that and then i got a call later that night uh from our administration and they said look we we'd like to have a, a full-blown prayer with both teams pre-game before the game would you be willing to conduct that run and lead that i said well yeah and i called up larry johnson the defensive line coach at penn state at the time who's now with ohio state and i knew larry and and I said, Larry, how about you and I just represent our teams and we'll, we'll go, we'll stand in front of the team and we'll pray before both teams and, you know, four minutes before game time. And Larry agreed to do that, but he wanted me to be the, the only guy that prayed. And so I said, sure, I'd do that. And so that's, that's what took place. And, uh, I ran into Chris Spielman on the sideline. I knew Chris and, uh, and knew Dave Pash too. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, they got wind that something was going to happen. And so they, they had the, uh, the the cameras and so forth on the game, and they were quiet during that pregame prayer. And I think, Smitty, the thing that really hits me, not only was the fact that we had the privilege to go before our, our Lord and ask for his protection and for justice to be done, um, but but we also had the uh, – it, it was – I had the uh, unbelievable um, – I just couldn't believe the silence that 107, near 108,000 fans uh, could be that quiet. I mean, I could hear people coughing in the stands. That's how quiet it was. That was different. And uh, but then the opportunity to Schmitty to to pray uh, out John chapter one verse fourteen that Jesus became flesh and and that he was God and and that he was in charge of everything that he was full of grace and truth. And that I and I prayed that people would receive Christ uh, and trust His Word, receive Him as Savior and Lord. That justice would be done. That little boys around the world who are watching on TV would would really come to understand the true definition of manhood, which is found in a relationship with the with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, and so I, that was really kind of the the impetus of it all. 
And um, I just hoped it, it just appeared that God used it. It was a great game. It was one of the best games, I think, Schmitty, that I've been a part of, just in terms of the way the game was played, hard fought, and, and the fact that I admired Penn State in that, that game. They had so much point. And these guys came from behind, and they made it a game. I mean, it was they shut us out in the second half, if I remember, and it was 17 to 14 the final. And so, hats off to Penn State and the Nebraska kids for the way the game was played. It was kind of a throwback, coach, and uh, the message you provided before the game, and kind of the, the tone that was set. Let's go have a, a good competition and try and. And, and showcase uh, what what being a grown up's all about. Uh, those four quarters were were nip and tuck, specifically with even even though the Nebraska got up for you know four seventeen nothing in that game. I mean it was it was hard fought. I mean both teams under four hundred yards mm-hmm. total offense, just one turnover. Defenses ruled the day. The run game was was spectacular, and uh, in you know in tough conditions, you, you need your four wheel drive and. Rex Burkhead had an extra gear that day, didn't he? Well, he did, and I was really proud of Rex because, you know, people were talking about um, how Rex might be burnt out. You know, he had he had a real tough stretch there. You know, uh, two games prior to that, we gave Rex the ball 35 times against Michigan State, and we beat a, a really good Michigan State team here. If you remember, mm-hmm. we yeah. dominated him, and Rex was fabulous in that game. Then we got hit. We got we got snake bitten by Northwestern, who's always tough, really smart, and of course they beat us. And Rex really had a subpar game, and so people were wondering was Rex really the same guy? Had we overused him? And um, you know, we had three freshmen, talented young tailbacks at Abdullah. Braylon Hurd, uh, Aaron Green, that were that, that were with us, but only Abdullah was really ready to play um, and to, to help out Burkhead. And so Rex still had to carry the load. And we went into Penn State. We used Rex in a variety of different ways. Uh, of course, he was the we call it the Rex Cat, but he was the Wildcat taking the shotgun. But he also took snaps, a number of snaps from under center. We even had him drop back pass one time. I mean, he did kind of everything. He ran inside, he ran outside, he ran the option, he was the recept- receiver of the option. We sent him out on pass, protect- uh, pass routes, mm-hmm. and he pass proed. He did it all that game and uh, had a fabulous game. I was very proud of his effort, and I think it was indicative of really of both teams, the spirit that both teams played with. YouTube Tuesday is back, and uh, kicking it off here is Ron Brown, uh, Director of Player Development for Nebraska Football Longtime assistant, the game we're profiling today, the 2011 Nebraska-Penn State contest, 17-14 Nebraska, uh, hung on to win that one in the wake of the Jerry Sandusky scandal, the dismissal of Joe Paterno, and uh, what an eerie, eerie football game. And uh, Ron Brown, uh, so kind to, to join us. We'll have a few more minutes with Coach Brown here after this quick timeout, a reminder about drinking and driving. One out of three fatal crashes involves an impaired driver. Driving drunk, buzzed or high, never acceptable. And law enforcement officers on the lookout with sobriety checkpoints and saturation patrols. Make the smart choice. Have a pre-selected designated driver or non-alcoholic drink. Be smart. Start the conversation. Who's driving home? Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. More with Ron Brown coming up YouTube Tuesday. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. 
couple more minutes. YouTube Tuesday, reliving uh, the 2011 Penn State-Nebraska game. Huskers, tough, hard-fought win uh, on the road in Happy Valley after the Sandusky scandal, 17-14. A director of player development for Nebraska football, longtime assistant coach Ron Brown is with us. So the fourth quarter hits momentum, uh, switches jerseys as can happen on the road. And that 107,000 came to life, and the defense had to, to come do their part. And great game by Will Compton. Phenomenal uh, fourth quarter, I'll say final series by Levante David. Three straight stops, including a, a fourth and one. And Levante's had an amazing NFL career, but he was so good for such a short time at Nebraska. Uh, what do you remember about just Le- Levante kind of coming on the scene and then the the – the leadership he showed and, and not only the effort he showed that day with uh, with some big time key moment stops and it's hard to pick just one of those for Levante because he had so many in two years well he did I remember the one though it was a fourth down <laughs> they had a, a young running back named Silas Red if you if you remember yeah. and it was a fourth down and two maybe or something and Levante stuck him in the hole Levante was on a knee when he hit the kid and the kid went backwards it really was the play of the game I mean, it, that, that was the turning point of the game. And that was vintage Levante. He did things like that. Levante is not the biggest guy in the world uh, himself. And for him to be on one knee and to stop that kid one-on-one in a hole, because all the kid had to do was fall forward, and Levante wouldn't let him. It, was a, it wasn't the most perfect form tackle, but he hit him so solidly and square that he knocked the kid back. The kid was inches away from the first down, and they even spotted the ball forward a little bit further, I think, than, than it should have been, and he still didn't get the first down. That was, the, that was key in the, in the ball game. But, yeah, it was a hard-fought game, and, and a, lot of, a lot of young men stepped up and uh, made plays. Uh, there was no really one – one totally outstanding player in the game. It was just great team effort, I think, on both parts. You're telling me there was a weird spot in Happy Valley, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's all, that's been a, uh, a special place for us. Even, uh, you know, I'll tell you the other guy who really had a great game mm-hmm. was Brett Maher, our, oh, yeah. our punter that game. Now, Brett, I think he punted like five or six balls that went, because there was a lot of punting in that game. <laughs> there weren't a whole lot of first downs. And Brett punted maybe five or six balls inside the 20-yard line. So Penn State really had poor field position the entire game, largely due to young Mayhars uh, just turning the, uh, the field position over in our favor. You know, and, and, yeah, Maher was so good and so talented, and Levante was good. The running backs were fantastic and a great bounce-back win. Coach Ron Brown with us, uh, Hale Varsity Radio, YouTube Tuesday. Coach, last thought, what do you remember about Coach Bo? Uh, in that moment, uh, not only leading up to Penn State, but also after the game? Well, I appreciated Bo. First of all, Bo was all for the prayer. He was all for the uh, two teams coming together. And Tommy Bradley. I've known Tommy Bradley, who who became the interim coach Mm -hmm. after Joe Paterno stepped down before that game. I've known Tommy for years. I used to work the Penn State football camp as a very young coach way back in the Ivy League when I was at Brown. So I got to know Paterno and all those guys. And and Tommy and Bo praying before. And I remember Tommy uh, coming up to me and saying, where's Bo? Where's Bo? I said, Coach, he's he's right here. He's right. There he is, Coach. 
And he said, I want to be next to Bo at this. I just appreciated both of these intense competitors. Both Tommy and Bo are, are great competitors. Of course, I love Bo. Bo, mm-hmm. uh, Bo is a, a guy that on game day was a uh, – well, he let you know a few things here and there. But you know what, man? I, I, I loved the fact that you knew where Bo stood, and he was extremely loyal, and he was a fierce competitor. So he – but but he was also very smart, and he had some he had some wisdom to him. He was able to articulate some of the things that our team had to get ready to go into. He put a lot of perspective, and he told a. I, I think he did a nice job tying the bow in the press conference after the game. So, mm-hmm. Bo's a very intelligent guy, uh, very competitive guy, and uh, enjoyed. Uh, I, I've always remembered that day with him as we we shared that time together. Ron Brown, Director of Player Development, Nebraska, and uh, YouTube Tuesday 2011, Nebraska, Penn State. Coach, it's always fun to sit down with you and spend a few minutes, and and thanks for your insight, and thanks for your message today. You bet, uh, Schmitty. Thanks for uh, the great reminder of 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 a special day. That's uh, Ron Brown, longtime coach at Nebraska, Director of Player Development, and uh, some really good insight and Thoughts on uh, what a difficult day and tough ball game against Penn State in 2011. Remember a quote from Bo Pelini after the Penn State game? Because there was talk, you know, Nebraska was not going to play. And Penn State wanted to play. And Penn State wanted to, to have some sort of normalcy with football, even though football was the cause of this. Specifically Sandusky and Joe Pa and other people that didn't do their job for decades. And it was either you Nebraska play or you, you forfeit. So Nebraska Nebraska played. And, you know, Bo's like, look, I'm I'm doing what I'm told and we're gonna we're gonna play football. Cause that was a Big Ten conference call and it was the athletic directors, Coach Osborne and whoever was the interim AD for Penn State. It's similar as far as you do what you're told with right now with the Big Ten and what they're not doing. And another classic scene here, you saw the video with uh, the guy packing up his SUV in the grocery store parking lot with the Big Ten gal telling him, that, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then they finally pick up you know the big 12 person who's like let me check with texas the video i'm poorly communicating here but that's that's out there there's a new one out with bench warmers and that's one of junior's favorite movies and bench warmers has uh you have david uh, spade's character as the sec you have uh, napoleon dynamite as the general public uh, and then the acc's rob schneider and then the freak in the closet is howie and how he's the the Pac-12 and in, in Big Ten. It's pretty good. News out of uh, Purdue: Coach Jeff Brom and Coach Matt Pater, and women's coach Shannon Verspy, and AD Mike Bobinski have each voluntarily taken a twenty percent salary reduction and agreed to forego any incentive compensation over a 12-month period beginning September 1st. So that's uh, 80% of a lot of money. <laughs> you had the, had the 20% up. And 
that's not truly what I'm saying, but it, it'll work. And it probably prevents Purdue from cutting any sports. And that is on a lot of people's mind. What happens to the mom and pops? What happens to restaurants and businesses that depend on Nebraska football? What happens bigger picture around the other 13 Big Ten institutions where folks rely on that income and economic generation? I, it's not mandatory, nor is it required for these big name, big earning coaches to do that. Nebraska has already had their people do it, but how much more can you can you sever? And I, I don't know. It's not my business. I don't know their bank accounts, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Nebraska say, "I see your." 20% and I will raise you 30%. That's probably way generous. But it'd be nice to start some sort of GoFundMe and these people don't have their handout at all. But it'd be nice to have some sort of GoFundMe happen where you can kick money back to help fund sports, the non-revenue gener- generating sports if you're a high earner when it comes to the athletic department, but it'd be also nice. It'd be nice to have a, a like a, a fund set up that coaches could kick into for economic development, or at least somewhat of a safety net. I dream big. It's not my money. Who do we got? We got Pete on the line. Pete. All right, let's go to Pete. Pete, you're on the show. Welcome in. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you know? Oh, not too much. I guess I got a quick question for you. What about the presidents and the chancellors and the commissioner? Are they taking a 20 or 30, 40, 50? You called called yesterday and asked the same question, bud, and I appreciate you asking that question, and thanks for the phone call. And my answer is I don't know. Should they? It'd be a really cool idea if they did, if you've got produced kind (laughs) of... Setting the table here with Jeff Brom and their basketball coach, Painter, and the AD, and uh, you have the women's basketball coach. But there's been no official announcement, Pete. Thanks for the call. If that's Pete trying back, it's the same. We got to start a GoFundMe for Pete's cell phone. Because it's no good. But Pete's on the road. And Pete's listening, and I appreciate him doing that. 466-3776-4663776800-825-5865. Numbers to get in. Can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. You know, I don't feel real right about saying so-and-so should take a pay cut. Ooh, they take they make too much money. I don't I mean that's personal. That's everyone's private financing and you know, <laughs> easy to sit there and say, yeah, sure, you can spread a little of the wealth around. But I think you've got some pretty good folks within the athletic department that would that have already taken a pay cut. So what do we have going on for football? Well, it, it still looks like winter. It still looks like January. January. 
but you have uh, Tom Deanhart talking to a coach in the Big Ten, a couple of different coaches and administrators. And the eight games in a Big Ten title game and then maybe a Rose Bowl. So if you get through a season in January, it ends in March, you have a conference title game in March, you get an April Rose Bowl with whoever wins the Pac-12. That'd be kind of cool. Sort of. The nightmare scenario is this. You're kicking off between Rutgers and Ohio State on January 1st, right when the Sugar Bowl's getting going. Who'd want to watch the Sugar Bowl over Rutgers, Ohio State? We'll talk Bengals football. Ben Baby's up next on Hale Varsity. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. Back in Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's talk some Bengals football. National reporter of Cincinnati with ESPN.com. Ben Baby is with us. Ben, welcome into the show. Thanks for a few minutes. How's your day? Hi, Joe. How are you doing? We're good. We're good. Excited uh, around uh, the state of Nebraska here to see what uh, year two looks like for Zach Taylor. Of course, the uh, the Joe Burrow connection. And as you've had a chance to check out camp, Ben, what's been your impression here? What's what's a difference maybe you've you've seen or have noticed this second year for Zach and with this uh, Cincinnati squad coming off a tough two and fourteen season? You know, the one thing is that Zach is, it seems like he's a little more at ease. I think he feels like he's more in the rhythms of, of what an NFL offseason is supposed to look like. You know, when you go back to his first year, because of how well the Rams did and go into the Super Bowl at the end of that 2018 season, you know, Zach wasn't able to hit the ground running in Cincinnati until after the Super Bowl. And so, you know, everything was a rush timeline. And so, you know, I think this offseason, he feels like he's in, at a good place, especially when you talk about having some continuity with your assistant. So, you know, over the course of the year, you're having a better feel for the roster and, and just knowing what things are supposed to kind of look like. I think that's been all been a, been a benefit for Zach, even in the midst of a pandemic. And so, you know, I think the fact that they've known for a while that they're going to have Joe Burrow as, as their likely starting quarterback, you know, it, it's kind of helped them prepare to deal with all of this pandemic. And so far, I think everyone has handled it in stride. Ben Baby is with us. ESPN.com covers the Cincinnati Bengals uh, camp report on Cincy. So as you look at this roster and uh, you look at the, the, the depth and some of the, the, the groups, position groups, where are some strengths in, in your eyes? Where's a, a loaded spot for Cincinnati? Where's an area that, that needs some development or some guys to kind of step forward? Yeah, you know, I think that the, the defensive line and the, the wide receiver group are definitely, you know, two of the stronger units. And we talk about the defensive line, I think the interior specifically, when you look at Geno Atkins, you know, who I think, you know, could potentially, you know, be a, be a Hall of Fame candidate when it's all said and done. And then DJ Reader, who the Bengals gave, a, you know, their biggest deal ever to a free agent this offseason. Those two guys are, are going to be pivotal for that, for that line, in addition to, you know, guys like Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard, uh, Carl Lawson. You know, Freedom Mack and Moladoon, who was from Nebraska, um, you know, played his college ball with the, with the Cornhuskers. I, you know, I was just talking to his trainer 
and, you know, and I think Freedom could be in for for some interesting reps and, and could see some more snaps this year if he continues to to develop. So I think that's a, that's a guy to watch on the bubble of this year. I know the Bengals, you know, made it a point to get him on the roster at the end of last season. So obviously, it shows you know how they feel about him and, and wide receiver. You know, is another deep. You know, like I said, when you look at John Ross, AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, you know, the addition of T Higgins. You know, I'm interested to see what's how Stanley Morgan looks like, another Cornhusker. Um, you know, I think that you know he was he's he bring, yeah, I think I would be surprised if he wasn't at least around. You know, potentially on a practice squad in some capacity. Um, you know, I know the Bengals like him and, and and you know had him on the roster all year for a reason. So you know, we'll see what happens. But I think those two units are, are probably the strongest ones. And when you look at weaknesses, you know, I think the offensive line has a lot to prove, and the defensive backs as well. Um, I think if the Bengals want to go to where they hope. Uh, they can in 2020. Those two units need to be better. When it comes to the, the wideout room, and you look at uh, a guy like uh, AJ Green and where he's at in his career and having to, to kind of bounce back, is he looked vintage or does he look just different? Uh, maybe better than than past years. How would you assess Green as he uh, puts the you know the helmet on for for yet another season? Yeah, you know, I was talking to his trainers this offseason, and they said A.J. looks as good as he ever has. But I think it's a positive sign when you when you think about how little he's been able to do over the last 12 months because of that ankle injury. And, you know, I think his approach in the offseason has been, been exceptional. If you talk to his trainers, I think they've been very pleased with what they've gotten out of him. Unfortunately, you know, he's had some minor soft tissue injuries at the mm-hmm. beginning of camp once he's been in Cincinnati, so he hasn't been able to – to hit the field really with the rest of the team. And, and tomorrow I imagine that we'll start seeing, you know, A.J. Green start to work his way back into uh, the full swing of things. And, you know, I expect him to have a, have a pretty big year here. I think that he has a lot to prove. You know, the Bengals obviously didn't give him a long-term deal for the second straight offseason. Instead, giving him that one-year franchise tag. And I think he wants to show not only the Cincinnati but the rest of the NFL what he can do when he's fully healthy and that he can be one of the top wide receivers in the game. And, and that's really one of the most fascinating things about you know this season is, is what A.J. looks like because when he's healthy, he has been one of the most productive receivers. But the problem is, is he hasn't been able to stay on the field. Seathan Carter, he's a guy that, that made the, the squad and has been in Cincinnati uh, as an undrafted kid out of Nebraska, just a boatload of talent uh, as a blocker, but can, can use that size and speed. When we look at tight ends for Cincy, where does he fit into the picture, or is he kind of a fringe guy as well? You know, I think that he's probably on the inside of the bubble if we had to put a you know, 53-man mm-hmm. roster. I know that they like him. Uh, a lot in his versatility. I think what he was able to bring to special teams last year was really one of the reasons why he was able to make the team and be an asset. And we even saw him, you know, get some get some um, snaps and in, in, on the offensive side and, and and get some targets as well, which is huge. And I think when you look at that room, you know, you've got you know Seathan, you've got uh, uh, C.J. Uzama mm-hmm. and, and Drew Sample. I think those guys are all going to be in the mix at tight end. And you know, I think Seathan's probably you know safe. When I look, when you're looking at what they're going to do this offseason at that roster, and you know, I think that you know, if if he can continue to show that development that he made, you know, towards the end of last season, I could see the Bengals looking at at using him in various different ways, and at the very least, continue to use him in special teams, where he's been a big asset for Darren Simmons and, and that side of the that's out of the ball. Ben Baby is joining us. He is the reporter with ESPN.com, covers the Cincinnati Bengals and the Joe Burrow era. Let's spend uh, the last part of this on Joe. And what's uh, what stuck out to you? You've got hype, you have pressure, you have 
uh, a guy that had an incredible season at LSU. He's an Ohio kid. What's his uh, his makeup like? I've, I've spent some time around his father, and, you know, Joe's Joe, as, as his dad would put it. But how's the transition been, been in your eyes for Joe? Yeah, you know, if you you know, you obviously know when Jimmy know that you know Joe is a is a coach's kid, and he definitely comes across that way. And you know, I was able to watch him out in, in March during his pre pre draft training, and you know, he was out there with other NFL quarterbacks like uh, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Kyle Allen. Um, you know, and, and you know, he looked like it was all business, and, and you could tell that he was focused. Even you know, when we were doing just you know casual stuff, you know, out on a, on a practice field in, in in Orange County, you know, I thought that was impressive, and. And he's, you know, had this his focus and determination throughout the entire offseason when he talked to those around him, including Jimmy Burrow, his father. And, and I think that that bodes well. I think the Bengals, you know, when they didn't sign a veteran uh, quarterback at the beginning of camp, it showed that, you know, they trusted their young guys and, and that young guy specifically being Joe Burrow and that they were going to put a lot on him on week one and expect him to come out and execute immediately. And I think Joe has handled that challenge very well when you talk to the coaching staff, talk to the players, his grasp and command of the things they're asking to do are farther along than other rookies might be at this point in time, which I think is a good sign. He's been very effective on the field when he's you know been asked to move the ball. He's responded well to adversity when he's throwing interceptions or maybe struggled with a few reps or series, uh, which are all good things to see. So I, I think that Burrow is trending upwards. I still think he's going to take his lumps like any rookie will. But I imagine that you know, the hype that we've seen all offseason, you know, as we've gotten into training camp, we see why he's been uh, gotten that kind of attention and those accolades and why the Bengals think he will be their next franchise quarterback. Ben, I'd love to do this again. Thanks for a few minutes today. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Appreciate you. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, tomorrow on the show, Mike Babcock will be with us. Mike Schuhart going to join us. Brad Edwards. We'll kind of have him circle some of the college football games of the year. Bill Bender putting out a full schedule. And, um, yeah, it's sad. Oklahoma, Texas, the 10th down in Dallas. Clemson, Miami, the uh, Black Friday game. It's going to be, I think that is, let me double check here. I think the, the Thanksgiving Friday might be North Carolina, Notre Dame. You're going to dirty their way into the old Black Friday 330 spot, which would be sweet. Damon, am I going to just have to, like, trank dart you and take you down to the Little Apple for Kansas, Kansas State? Uh, I might be a little more willing to go than you first thought. You don't have to put me under for that one. <laughs> Where am I? You're in the trunk, son. <laughs> Going to going to Kansas. <laughs> going to Kansas. <laughs> uh huh. And the uh, the Griswold seat of Cousin Eddie's farm rolls through our mind. LSU's at Florida the seventeenth of October. Now I know Georgia and Bama play. I'm trying to figure out that date. Iron Bowl's always the same day, which would be great. Oklahoma gets to head to West Virginia right after thank right you know right after Thanksgiving. 
And if you're wondering for the triple header for the conference championship games, either December 12th or 19th, it's going to be the ACC title game, which Notre Dame could be in, a rematch against Clemson. Big 12 title game, which will probably be a rematch, Oklahoma, Texas. And then you get the SEC title game, which could be a rematch, Georgia versus Bama. I don't know where I come out yet on on LSU this year. I mean, they are loaded, but they don't have all their tools and toys on offense. <laughs> pretty, pretty tall order. Pretty tall order to replace Joe Burrow. Big thanks to, to Ben Baby for jumping on ESPN.com. Cincinnati uh, Bengals insider. So I thought that was pretty interesting about Freedom uh, and, and the, the impact he's made with the Bengals roster. And, you know, you, you look at Freedom as one of these guys, and, and Nick Gates may be the same, where they were, they were they had a lot of starts, and they put in great effort at Nebraska. But, man, they may end up being – kind of more wow pros and you know roger craig was a guy that was phenomenal at nebraska but even switched positions for the team but then you saw roger craig go off in the nfl and he should be in the freaking hall of fame so i'm interested to see where the nebraska pieces of this zach taylor puzzle go to stan more stanley morgan stay on the active roster as many wideouts as since, since he has. Seathan Carter's kicked butt and taken names. And he's a guy, Russ Landy told us that that guy's undrafted, but he will make the team. Russ Landy threw that gauntlet down about Seathan Carter early. Back at it tomorrow. Check the podcast out, ESPNLincoln.com or iTunes or Hale Varsity. Good stuff from Ron Brown, Mitch Sherman, and Ben Baby today. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 4 with Hale Varsity. Thanks.